listening to 9394, a music podcast with me. How's it going? You are here today to listen to me talk to my friend Jess Peak about the album Cure for Pain from that band Morphine. Morphine is one of those bands that felt somewhat obscure, at least to me as a teenager at the time, listening to them. But as time has marched on, they have clearly come to be extremely well regarded. One of the better regarded bands. This is one of the better regarded albums from the era. They're one of those bands that built up a dedicated and consistent following even before the untimely passing of Mark Sandman. So it was a real delight to sit and talk about this with my old friend Jess. You ever been friends with siblings? If you're friends with them for decades, you know, you can be closer to one for a while and then like life kind of takes you both in whatever path and then you kind of are closer to the other one for a little while then maybe you're closer to the other one again. It's funny how that works and I have an older brother that a lot of my friends are friends with and I'm friends with a lot of my friends' brothers as well. Just kind of the way it worked out, I guess, when you all go to high school together. So here's me and Jess talking about the seminal album. Is that is that the right word? Do I mean seminal? Do I need to look up the word seminal? Probably. I feel like I'm using it correctly. Consisting of seed or, wait a minute, no. Having a strong influence on ideas, works, events that come later. That's, that's Britannica. Okay, I used it correctly. We can move forward now. Thank you. Let's do this. Hello? Can you hear me? Hey, there he is. Hey, all right. (laughs) How's it going? Good, good. Good. I was trying to make sure it was going to use this microphone that I painstakingly set up. You sound great. Good. Yeah, you sound good. She had a smile that swerved. She had a smile that curved. She had a smile that swerved all over the road. Okay, well, thank you, first of all, for coming on the show. Truly appreciated. Absolutely. I like to start at the most basic point. How do you and I know one another, Jess? <laughs> uh, I was trying to think about this because I've heard the show before, so mm-hmm. I had to prep. <laughs> Obviously, you were friends with Morgan like well before me, and yeah, people can listen to all about that in the Jawbox episode, right? Mm-hmm. I would have met you probably once or twice through him, and then we hung out a lot more when we were both in bands. So. You guys in Kill Drama, I think we opened for you and one of the bands I was in at some point. Arate? Arate, yeah. Right. Probably would have been that. I think it was Arate. So a few times there. I don't think we ever really like talked a ton. It was just like we knew who each other were. Yeah. I remember hanging out with you the most probably at the Ypsilanti dump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a home, not a garbage site. This is not a facility. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, hanging out like at the Ipsy dump. I remember talking in the basement about something late at night, too many drinks, I'm sure, talking about probably music. Yeah. That probably would have been the first time hanging out. And then from then on out, it was like a bunch of different bands playing together, right? No less than three bands, I think, together. That you and I have <laughs> yeah. been in together? Yeah. Um, 
we were let's see let's count it real quick we were in limbs of trees together we were in fountain and fairfax together yep. what's the third one uh trapeze empire it's just you and me in that but studio band yeah right yeah i definitely like remember you being at morgan's in your home as a kid and paying like yeah. zero attention to you when i came over because i'm like it's morgan's little brother i'm here to talk right. to him. i'm like fuck off we're doing stuff Right, right. We didn't hang out. And then, yeah, later on, and like we kind of partied together a few times. Yep. Running in the same circles at the dump at the dungeon in Ypsilanti and like, you know, those kind of um, social groups. And then, of course, I started dating someone who was a good friend of yours, Cassie. Right. And actually, even before she and I started dating, you, me, and her were at whose wedding? Was it Dave and Jen's wedding? I feel like maybe. Were you there? Yeah. You might have been. I don't know. I was there. That was the, I think the first wedding I had ever been to. And definitely like I stood in his wedding. And yeah. so that was at the church. You remember that? It was a wedding at a church. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Catholic church. There was a lot of standing up to sitting down. Uh-huh. Yep. What stands out, of course, is like you, me, and Cassie dancing our fool asses off on the dance floor all night long to like Cotton Eye Joe. Yep. Okay. Like that. That was when you and I like really like clicked. Distinct memory of dancing yes. to Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Really, really drunk. Yes. Yes. Like stupid drunk dancing. Yeah. Then you and I started hanging out more because of Cassie. And then it's like, oh, this guy uh, is awesome. And he he loves talking heads. So I was like, oh, he, he knows things about heads. He knows things about music. Like, oh. And then with those few years um, before I moved away, we were pretty inseparable for a few years there. Yeah. A lot of bands playing together. That was a lot of fun times. Many good times, canoeing and whatnot. Lots oh, of yeah. drinking. There's a lot of drinking involved. Yeah. A lot of drinking and dancing with you and me. <laughs> <laughs> in a bar, in a kitchen, wherever. Yeah. <laughs> Put a couple in us and we're going to have a good time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Always fun. So let's get to morphine. How did you come to the album? Well, I wish I could say that I got it in 93 because that would be super cool, but did not. I was in college and I was living in an efficiency, which was just a total nightmare. A lot of silverfish, I believe, that, that bugs yeah. silverfish, right? I remember yeah. hearing about the A lot silverfish. of pink tile and silverfish. It was super gross. <laughs> Low, really dim lighting. No internet. So I would go to work as a screen printer. And while I was there, I would hop on LimeWire. Hmm dates it yeah that dates it <laughs> that's the downloading app of the time so they had a good internet connection so i would just basically download a bunch of music mm-hmm. so i'd like walk in with like a list of things like you know i don't have a lot of money so i want to find the most bang for my buck which album yeah. am i going to buy with my like 15 dollars? Mm-hmm. so i'd go download a bunch of random songs and i'm sure the first time i heard morphine was buena mm-hmm. downloading that and then being blown away i'd never heard them before i kind of knew like what they were about. I'm like, oh, there's no guitarist. That's interesting. He does this weird thing with like a slide bass and like he cuts strings off and like, what's going on with that? And so hearing that for the first time and being like, wow, I can't believe it sounds so full for being like three people, no guitar, half the bass strings. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. It's like this crazy, like wave of low sound coming at you with like baritone vocals and baritone saxophone is pretty intense. So Immediately, I went off and got it. I remember going to this place in Ferndale. It was an old record store. And I want to say Pyramid or a Triangle or some geometric mm. shape of some okay. sort. 
music. Yeah. All the dividers are like white plastic and someone had taken time to like write the names all in like a goofy logo and stuff. And so I remember going in there trying to find it and they didn't have it. So I had to order it. I remember waiting for it, you know. Wow. You had to order it. Here it is. There it is on CD. Yeah. Woo. The original that you got. That's awesome. Yep. So I would have uh, gotten it then and probably just continued to listen to it up until now. Yeah, same. It's one of those albums that uh, I've never put down in my life. Even when I got into Screamo and Punk and was like really headlong into that kind of stuff, it took me a while to kind of get into other Morphine albums. But yeah, this album I just never walked away from. This is one that I got as one of my many experiences with the Columbia House or BMG. I got it on cassette. Ooh, trumped me with the tape. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, I got it. In, I think I think early '94, maybe been late '93, because it came out in September of '93. It was on Ryko Records. I was always like mad at Ryko Records. This uniformity in the cassettes is always like that blue background with the black font, you know? And like all yeah. my cassettes would have like a bunch of blue ones. I'm like, I can't tell which one that is from a distance. Right. That's, but now I'm all <laughs> nostalgic for it. I'm like, oh, there it is with the blue font on the cassette itself. And this cassette does not really play anymore. I've worn it the fuck out, but I keep it as like a personal right. totem. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I think it was Boyana that I got into first as well. I think that was the first single from the album probably on mtv or oh yeah beavis and butthead yeah beavis and butthead or 89x or something like that when i was sat down as a kid and just kind of like threw darts at the wall in terms of my columbia house choices i was like yeah, i'm familiar the same it was like all i really knew was like two string bass player a uh, drummer and for a long time i misunderstood i thought that dana collie played like two saxophones at the same time um he, he will sometimes have like two strapped on him and like go back and forth but for some reason i had it in my head like as a kid he had like one on either side of his mouth and was like playing it that way so i'm gonna interrupt and no, you're no. right as a kid he does do that and one will be like a baritone and one will be like a i don't know alto 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 alto, alto saxophone yeah. right and then it'll be like two from what i understand mm-hmm. he can play like two parts which is mind-blowing like i don't even know how you shape your mouth to get like two reads in there at the same time so so weird yeah there's video of it too and you're like what what is happening it's bizarre i guess i did see that as a kid and i i grew older and like that's like santa claus i'm making shit up here in my head like (laughs) (laughs) no one could do that the legend of morphine yeah well (laughs) they're certainly achieved legendary status i feel like as time has gone on because they're one of those bands that this album it popped pretty well on the college charts and that kind of stuff, but yeah. the follow-up albums did not really make much of a splash uh, in terms of a you know the mass audience. But as time has gone on, how many movies and TV shows have I heard these songs on? Like any song from the album, you know, it just shows up. Right, right, and you can tell like right away. It's like the first three notes, you're <laughs> like, oh, that's Morphine. Like, yeah, it's it's so distinct. Yeah, I think they're kind of a musician's band. Did you ever see Spanking the Monkey, that David O. Russell film? I actually, ne- I've never seen that. I haven't either. The songs figure prominently in there. I know that. Right. And it's like on my short list, I'm like, the movie I'm probably not going to like, but you know, I like David O. Russell stuff, but like mm-hmm. from reading the blurb about what it's about, it's like, okay, yeah, this is going to be dumb, but I'll listen to it, you know, see how they use morphine in the uh, video and stuff. Yeah. Even as a kid, I was like, I don't know that I need to see something called Spanking the Monkey. I watched a movie <laughs> about it. That seems like I'm admitting something as a 13 year old that right. wasn't prepared to to do <laughs> mom can we rent this <laughs> right. up at vgs or something <laughs> oh. candy says she wants me with a down in candy land as far as the album goes itself could you pick a favorite song off the album so 
I debated back and forth between Cure for Pain, the song, and Candy, mm-hmm. which I think just historically were always like my two favorite mm-hmm. songs. Like Candy, I would say like for the longest time was number one. And that like saxophone solo halfway through is like yeah. unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, and take it from me, who knows saxophone solos. Because <laughs> you play a lot of saxophone? <laughs> no, not, not at all. Like I'm just some dude. I know nothing about saxophone solos, but like in my like notes as I was, you know, listening, I put possibly the, the greatest saxophone solo ever recorded, which is, you know, probably uh, not correct, but certainly my favorite. from Lost Boys has a bone to pick with you but um, yeah (laughs) that is a sweet solo and since there's not much guitar on the album the sax solos kind of shine through maybe even more because they're very uncluttered by anything else right yeah there's a lot of space for him to do whatever he's going to do and this cure for pain because that's also got like an amazing saxophone solo so maybe Mm -hmm. listening through it is like those stick out as like just gems throughout the whole album yeah but Great, like, flanger tone on the bass for uh, Cure for Pain. So it's just like this, like, underwater, like, like murky, you know, sound that is just excellent. It's amazing. You know, it's funny. There's, like, two percussionists that would sometimes play at the same time in the band. I don't think that much on this album they recorded at the same time. Like, they were kind of doing, like, double duty live. I think they would play together more often. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on Cure for Pain. That's... I did the same thing. I kind of vacillated between Cure for Pain and actually Thursday. I like Thursday a whole bunch. I like the story that's told there. You know, I mean, it's not a good story. It's not a happy story, but it's like it's interesting story. I can see it in my head, you know. And and just the vibe of it, the way he's like yelling stuff, like ah, just like in the background, just like you're like yeah, fucking go, man, like go. It makes you want to like bob your head around and move a bunch, you know. Good jam. Then a game of pool. We used to go to a motel, a motel, a motel across the street. Then the name of the motel was a wagon wheel. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of storytelling in some of these. Like, Candy's pretty dark, and mm-hmm. I, I assume that, if I'm interpreting correctly, there's a lot of, like, suicidal uh, talk in that, mm. which is kind of a bummer. And maybe that's one, like, detractor from it. It's, there's a lot of a lot of feels in there. Yeah. It can be, like, moody, where you're like, ah, this is, like, a little dark for me. I'm going to move on to something else, something, yeah. you know, more upbeat. Glum a little bit. And then Sheila, a bit of a song there. About a cat. There's a cat. Sheila has a cat. <laughs> right. Um, has the cat, etc. Well, it's a very basic premise, I guess. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Speaking of Sheila, also a really cool saxophone instance at like a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. Where I know exactly what you're talking about. It like pops out where it's like he's playing chords, like it's overdubbed, where he's playing like a stream of notes and then overdubs it, I think, with like another saxophone and another saxophone part. And it's just... Like, th- those are my notes for that song. I'm like, this part is amazing. Like, this is such a yeah. cool, 
like vibe to it. I think it's you know minute and a half in. Yeah, it's not my favorite song on the album, but that's one of my favorite moments Agreed. on the album. Agree. Yeah, it's really cool. All three of these guys, well, I guess four of them, they really get to shine in their given moments. Could you pick an underrated song from the album? Is there a song that you think doesn't get enough attention? Yeah, I'd say Let's Take a Trip Together is pretty underrated. It's got like a really cool, like relaxed vibe to it, but like the first couple of notes, like, and like immediately relaxes me and like takes me into like a certain headspace. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound a lot like the other ones. Everything else is really kind of like growling bass and like pretty active, let's say. Mm -hmm. But this song is a lot more like chilled out and I don't know. I don't think it gets as much love. I could be totally wrong. I haven't like discussed this with sure. many people, right? Right. But that would be my first thought where it's like people know like, you know, Buena and Thursday and some of those ones, but maybe this one they don't know as well. It's probably the most relaxed track on the album, the most groovy and kind of vibe setting in a lot of ways. For me, if I have to pick a weakest track on the album, that's the track for me only because oh. it feels like might be partly because of the placement on the album. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the song. I yeah. literally love the song. I love every song on this album. This is one of my all-time favorite albums. Maybe not top five, but maybe top ten. Like, it really, it's up there for me. So I truly love every song on the album. But I also kind of think, like, the placement of it's not perfect because by that point in the album, like, it's a bit of a lull, yeah. that song, in, the, in that moment. So it, it seems like it could have been a little earlier for me. And also, since I'm so used to listening to it on cassette, they do such a great job of having, like, the first half of the album end with in spite of me and then, then thursday really kicks things off so when on that side yep. b it's like really really going strong with thursday cure for pain mary once you call my name and then suddenly it just kind of like takes a big shift and you're like oh okay we're relaxing we're relaxing now but yeah yep i hear your point for me i'd say the underrated song on the album all wrong i think it was never a single but it's got some of the best lyrics i think in there and it has yeah. like it's just a really I, I try to tell myself, don't use the word sexy to describe the songs, but like, how could you not, right? How does, yeah. Like it, it's such a sexy kind of groovy song. Killer bass line on that too. Yeah. That, that song is awesome. Yeah. Again, I imagine you love every song on this album too, but if you had to pick a weakest, can you? Yeah. I'd say outside of Miles Davis's funeral, which is just the very end where. Yeah. And Donna. Right. Like Donna, I just don't skip. I think that's such a cool intro and it's really short. Oh, I love so it's it. not like it's like dragging or anything. It's just such a neat intro. And they used it as the intro, I think, to the uh, documentary too, which I'm like, oh, this is perfect placement. Yes. Makes the most sense. As far as like a weak song, the one that I'm going to skip, if I'm going to skip one, it would probably be Mary, Won't You Call My Name. I think it's the feel of it. Like it has like a certain like rockabilly mm -hmm. sound to it a little bit, which for me is a little bit off-putting because it's just, I don't know. I don't like it as much. That's all. I still like it just compared to like the rest of the album, right? When I think of the album, it's not one that comes to mind, right? Like I think of I'm Free Now, I think of Buena, I think of, of course, Cure for Pain. Um, but you brought up the documentary. So you've seen this documentary. Yeah, it's really good. Journey of Dreams for the Uninitiated. I watched it when it probably, I don't know when it came out. I didn't take a note on that. 2014. Okay. 
as soon as it was available to me, like on mm-hmm. streaming or whatever, I watched it. And it was great. And then I watched it a few nights ago just to kind of bone up on it. Oh, right on. It's really takes you into like where he's at. And he's such a, and when I say he, I mean, Mark Sandman. Mark Sandman. Yeah. Sandman. Right. Cool name. <laughs> Yeah, really just like too perfect almost right. <laughs> for this band. Right. He's really a kind of mysterious dude and had a lot of yeah. trauma, I guess, in his life, which is kind of crazy. Like his time as a cab driver. And got stabbed. Yeah. So like family members had passed when he was younger. And it sounds like he had mm-hmm. some like dark stuff going on in his life that kind of most likely fed into morphine, the sound of them, this yeah. like bass tone that they have this really low sound it like goes along really well with his life and who he is if you're listening to this and you like morphine at all uh you really need to check out journey of dreams and it's on youtube now a high quality version for free so you, you just watch it on there if you've never seen it before but yeah it really brings you in close with the band and his death yeah. which has been romanticized in so many ways because he died on stage right. and he died so young i mean he was an older rocker he was. he was like 46 when he died and he was i think 41 when this album came out yeah which is you know you know he'd already been in treater right but this was the band that like popped i think that documentary does a great job of really breaking down this myth that he was a drug addict everybody tried to oh he's in a band called morphine right. like no dude that had nothing to do with it he walked up a whole bunch of fucking stairs on a really hot day and he was super stressed right. and with a heavy smoker end of story Right. It's a really good documentary. It kind of goes through like the whole, you know, how they started. What I thought was pretty interesting too, is that it kind of goes into depth on like how he recorded, you know, it shows like his loft apartment and it's just like, you know, recording like cheap, not cheap, but like just recording equipment of the time. It was probably really good recording equipment of the time, but you Mm -hmm. know, by today's standards, it's like the old blur tricks and things like that. Yeah. But it just kind of talks about how they recorded it. Some of this album was recorded and mixed there, which mm-hmm. that's kind of mind blowing. In 93, you're in like just your, you know, studio apartment with some four tracks and things like that. And you can come off with a recording yeah. that sounds like this good. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking about that yesterday, how impressed I am when a band, because like, they recorded the rest of this in Fort Apache, which is a great studio. Yeah. And that mix of really good studio work combined with like the gravelly raw stuff that you literally did in your room. I always think that works really well on an album when that's done together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. And also that documentary features a lot of Billy interviews and we lost him to cancer in I think 2021. So it's nice that he was able to get this out there and cause you get a lot of his personal story in it too, which is cool. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting to see their take and especially on the, the drummer aspect of it, because there was two drummers and there was some back and forth and you're right. I think it was Jerome Dupree who had issues with his hands, right? Issues with his hands. And I've also read that he and Mark Salmon kind of had some conflict too, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I think they touched on that in the documentary as well. Speaking of Treater Right, have you ever gotten into Treater Right? No. But after watching that documentary again, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to go and uh, check that out to see what do they mm-hmm. sound like? Does it sound like morphine? Right. Does it sound like you can hear hints of it or is it just completely different, you know? It makes me happy to hear you say that, honestly, because like I remember hearing of Treat Her Right back in the day, but I had no idea that they were connected. Like even as I was listening to Morphine, I'd like hear people talk of Treat Her Right. I just thought it was some old band. I didn't know it was his old band. So I never listened to them until literally today. (laughs) Literally today, this morning, put on the album uh, Tied to the Train Tracks. And it's really good. Of course, it's really good. I'm going to dig in. I've gotten into all the other Morphine albums. This is still my favorite, Cure for Pain. I like swimming would probably be my second favorite, but yeah, now I'm like, shit, I've really, I have no explanation. Like what the fuck is like, 
decades of being aware that this <laughs> guy whose music I love had this other band. I just never delved into it before. I don't, I don't understand my own brain sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't gotten into them. I'd say like my second favorite Morphine album is probably good. And then maybe yes after that. And then there's the Detroit bootleg, which is pretty great too. Which is really cool because that was at St. Andrews in 1994. Yeah. How awesome is that? That is very cool. For us, it's like the legendary stage, right? Where we've seen countless bands. All our favorite bands. Right? If, they come, if they're a band that we love, they probably play on St. Andrews stage if they come to Detroit. Right. Where they're cutting up the floor and selling it, right? You hear about that? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'd love a piece of it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one of us ever saw these people live, right? No. How cool it would have been to be at that show in 94, but I was not cool enough. No. What year did he die? Um, 1990... 99. July 3rd, 99. In Palestrina, Italy. Right. Which they kind of like worship him there, uh, the way that the documentary makes it sound like. Right. That he, that he was widely respected before he died there. Yeah. And then he died there. It's like a spiritual home for him, I guess. Yeah, there's a big, I think, plaque or monument there with his name on it. Mm -hmm. I think at the base of the steps that they, you know, discuss them walking up. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I ever go to Italy, I'm going to want to go there. Absolutely. How awesome would that <laughs> Absolutely. be? Absolutely. I don't know if I climb the stairs. I'm a big man. I don't know if I want to climb. So maybe I'll go in October or something and take my time up the stairs. Yeah, right. <laughs> What song would you want to use to wrap up our interview here? I'm going to go with I'm Free Now. Okay, why? Uh, I don't know. It's just an awesome song. I don't know. The vibe on that one is so... Because you were talking about how Candy is kind of undercover dark, right? right? And this one is less under... Because like you listen to the lyrics, you're like, all right, he's honest. He swears. Then it's like, oh, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. He's a fucking idiot. Yeah, I'm such a fuck up and such a waste. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's kind of hard to listen to in some ways. Yeah, and the music doesn't sound like that, right? Right. Nothing is like super upbeat on this album, but like that's one of them, I guess, one of the more upbeat songs. Yeah, right? it is. I'd agree. I mean, who can't like, you know, I don't know, who can't? Who hasn't felt like that? Exactly, exactly. Who hasn't felt like I'm such a fuck up and such a waste at one point or in their yeah. life or another and, you know. And it sounds like he's apologizing to like a partner. I know he was with the same woman for like most of his adult life. Right. And it's probably, I'm assuming, talking to her. But it's very much like, yeah, I fucked up. I'm the biggest fuck up. I'm the fucking worst. And yeah, you're right. Like it's sad, but it's also relatable and a really good listen. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. Speaking of that, like how many girl song names do they have? Right. I try to take note. I'm like, okay, we got Claire, Lisa, Donna, Sheila, Candy, Barry. Honey White. Honey White could be. Yeah. Lila, a lot of girl names for songs. Right. From what the doc was showing, it's like he's been with the same woman for a long, <laughs> long time. So it's like, right. is this just like before they got together and he was just like a womanizer or something or what? And that's one of the mysteries of the band because he was always kind of shy about doing press. Like you listen to Thursday and it's like 
he's clearly singing about cheating with someone's wife. Right. And it's like, did he do this before he was with his partner? Is this a completely fabricated story? Is it? Could be. You know, who knows? Most of these, I assume, are either like from before his wife. I don't think they ever got officially married, but basically his wife. Either before that or he's calling her some other name, writing about her, but calling her right. something. Right. I don't know. You know, what you think of him just from like listening to the music and the albums, like it might be like completely different, right? You'd think he's a drug addict. No, not at all. Yeah. Right. I think he's no. like like a great swordsman out there, like uh, sleeping with all sorts of exotic women. <laughs> no, he's just no. uh, with one woman his like entire life. Right. Yeah. Maybe he understood the importance of that rock star kind of mythos and like letting people think whatever they want to think about him. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. The only other kind of fun fact is that mm -hmm. I'm going to presume Friends of the Show, Bear vs. Shark, featured Dana Colley on Baraga Embankment on their album Terrorhawk, which is super cool, right? Yeah, which is awesome. Dana Colley seems like, besides doing Vapors of Morphine, and I want to say, was he in the Twinesman? I'm not sure, but he kind of like became a like a studio sax slinger, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like showing up on studio albums for Bear vs. Shark and a bunch of different other people. Yeah. That makes sense. Like you are the premier alternative indie rock saxophonist. <laughs> it's a badge of honor to have someone like that on your album. I always thought it was super cool that Bear vs. Shark got him on there. It's amazing. I don't know. I got to talk to them and see like how did that come about like the producer knows someone who knows someone or like they asked for him specifically like we want data i asked john about it once many many years ago and i kind of forgot his answer but it was something along those lines it was like somebody knew somebody over at equal vision and like pulled the strings and got him in there and i don't think they really interacted with him that much from what i gathered but i could be wrong on that part. but that's definitely cool i got a hit with wings head with wings I got a head with yeah oh a head with wings you know his bass playing and style I thought like the mechanics of him like buying this I think it's a premier bass but it's like mm -hmm. kind of like a pawn shop find as far as I could tell really cool looking bass with like a scroll top to it but cutting the mm -hmm. strings off of that. And then I think he put in like a custom nut that was higher to lift it off the fretboard because it wasn't fretless. Oh. It still had frets on it, but they're going to interrupt yeah. his, the slide when he's using it. So he put a nut on there that's tall enough that the frets become kind of useless outside of like markers for the notes. And so you'd use that and a slide along with it to make these sounds along with sometimes then coming up with like, I think he called one like a tritar where it's like, I couldn't tell if it was two bass strings and one guitar string mm -hmm. or two guitar strings and one bass string. Even in Treater Wright, I think a lot of times he didn't call himself like a bass player. He said he played low guitar. How cool is that? Just like, you know what? I'm just going <laughs> to tear this thing apart and make it what I want it to be instead of just, you know, it's a bass like the one behind me here and like just just play that the way it is, stock, whatever. Right. Making new instruments like that. It's unbelievable, right? And then, you know, executing it on an album. It's not like 
you know, you made this cool like tritar and you use it on like one song. What he's doing is featured prominently in the music on all of the albums and is a huge impact on the total sound of the band. But so it's like kudos to him for, you know, being creative enough to come up with this stuff. I think that's a great point because in their deconstruction of some instruments, it's indicative of how they deconstruct whatever the fuck genre this is, alternative jazz, I guess. I don't know. It's so unique. When I was getting into music in 93 and 94 and I got into this band, that was one of the things that, and I think I've already said this on the show and I'll repeat myself about many things on the show probably, but I love that feeling of like, hey, I'm listening to a band. I can't quite define the boundaries of the genre that it's in. It sounds like they've created their own thing. And sometimes it turns out that they've got all these other influences I'm not aware of. And then sometimes you have someone like Mark Salmon and the rest of Morphine, and they really are doing something wholly unique that no other band has done before or since. And no one can sense in quite the same way without drawing comparisons. They're good, right? I mean, just wrap this up. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> Check it out. Whatever. All right, good. What else you listen to? Anything else these days? So I've been listening to The Dip a ton. That's a band, The Dip? Yeah. Like, it's like... Okay. Maybe eight dudes playing like horns and oh. like jazzy, like okay, it's fun music. Like you should check it out. Okay, what else? What else? Islands, the band Islands, is really good. Pile, you went with me to see them. Well, it was just the yeah, singer, the singer. Always going back to them. Okay, constantly listening to them. How about you? What are you listening to? You know, always 90s stuff, but I've been getting really into, it came out like in 2010 or 2011, but it's a uh, EP of material that Neutral Milk Hotel wrote like in the early 90s that they recorded like in 2010 or so. So I've been listening to that album a lot um, lately and kind of like later Yola Tango. I've been kind of doing them a little bit lately too. Always good. You know, late 90s, early 2000s, Yola Tango. They're still putting out stuff as far as I know. So maybe mid-career <laughs> Tango. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. All right. Are you ready for your 90s trivia? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or your, It's not even trivia. It's no, just it's like, more a, like a, Sometimes it is. Would you rather dot, dot, yeah, dot. Yeah. <laughs> Pick one. Pick one of these things. I'm going to ask you some things about the 90s. And there is no wrong answer this way. So you are a few years younger than me. So in 93, 94, I was... 12 through 14, you were nine, third grade, seven. Okay. So yeah. So you were pretty young. I know what was still important to me as a 13 year old in 1993. And that was breakfast cereal. So I'm going to ask you about five different cereals that were available in the year 1993 that are no longer in existence. Defunct cereals. Defunct cereals. um, And you have an option of which one you could eat for breakfast tomorrow uh, in your mind because you can't actually get them anymore all right here are your options you know what teddy grams are yep. there was teddy grams breakfast bears was a cereal it's literally just fucking teddy grams and a bowl of milk that's it <laughs> cereal. that sounds pretty good i probably it had was. it yeah you probably did mom had a coupon <laughs> if mom had a coupon you know you're getting it um another option it was discontinued in 1993 that was the last year you could get mr t cereal which wow. I don't know if you recall that Mr. T cereal. No, I don't remember. It was just Captain Crunch, the shape of teas. Delicious. <laughs> wow. I know Koo and Koo's teaming up with a good balanced breakfast. Teaming up with Mr. T cereal. It's getting on the team. The team that knows how cool breakfast can be. You get a crispy corn taste with a touch of brown sugar. Teaming up with Mr. T. It's cool. 
Kellogg's cinnamon mini buns were pretty popular back in the day. That's one of the ones that, like, in researching for this question, like, I saw like a bunch of people like, bring back the mini buns. Definitely had that. Those? I remember it. Yeah. Those were popular. I would say overrated. I am going to have to agree with you. I feel like it was one of those ones that left like a film in your mouth. Like, there's some yep. oil or chemical or something that. It's like, okay, I'm good. I have never felt like cinnamon and milk belong in the same bowl together at the same time. You get like this weird swirl of crap mixed in with it. It doesn't work for me. Mm. All right. So probably not going with that one. Two more options. Uh, Rice Krispies treat cereal. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. We had that a lot. We had that a lot, too. Remember that was like the chunks Chunks. of Rice Krispies? It's a marshmallow in there. Yeah. You could carve up the roof of your mouth while you ate them. Real good. We got to let this (laughs) sit in some milk for about six minutes. Then you're okay to eat it. Then you're okay to eat it. Uh, That was around for a while. That was introduced in 1993, but you can no longer get it. Hmm. And then the last option, uh, Dino Pebbles cereal, which was literally just Fruity Pebbles with undyed rice puffs. And the color in the bowl was from marshmallows in the shape of Dino. So I guess not Dino Pebbles, Dino Pebbles. So these are your options. Dino Pebbles, Rice Krispie Treat cereal, Kellogg's Cinnamon Mini Buns, Mr. T cereal, or Teddy Graham's Breakfast Bears. Oh, man. So that's a little bit tough. I know. Because I kind of want to lean Teddy Grahams because that's just like a snack, right? I mean, that's that's just total <laughs> yeah. bullshit. It sounds filling. I think they have Pop-Tart cereal, like little Pop-Tarts. They did, actually. <laughs> I, I considered that one, too. <laughs> I'm going to go with Teddy Graham cereal. I think that okay. I would like that the most. Teddy Graham cereal, you got it. Wake up, everybody, wake up. Kids were sound asleep. There's breakfast bears to eat. The dreams are over at seven o'clock. Get them up and on their feet. I think I will join you for a nice bowl of Teddy Graham cereal. Although I guess we technically could just like, because all it really was was just Teddy Grahams with like more air in them, um, like puffed. You know? Oh, they're puffed. puffed. Oh, I'm changing. I it. think. I'm changing. <laughs> it. Never mind. I want dense cereal. I want density yeah. in my. It should be like cereal. crackers. Like. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. It was fun talking. I mean, this album again, just one of the fixtures in my life when it comes to music. So it was definitely a delight to talk about it with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's hard to put into words, but it's certainly one of those. It's on my short list for like, you're going to do the Desert Island album. Mm -hmm. It's in there. Same. So amazing album. And yeah, like every time I do this podcast, I butt up against the fact that it's actually kind of weirdly hard to talk about music and be like, oh, I like it. It sounds good. I love it. <laughs> and? <laughs> <laughs> but I still enjoy doing it. And yeah. I enjoy doing it with you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Like a heartbeat. We don't like to speak. Don't talk to me for about a week. I'm sorry, it just hurts to explain. There's something going on that makes my gut sink. I got guilt, I got fear, I got regret I'm just a panic-stricken waste I'm such a jerk, I was honest I swear, the last thing I wanna do Honest, I swear The last thing I wanna do Is ever cause you play A big thank you to Jess for coming on to the show I really appreciate it The band Morphine was Mark Salmon Billy Conway, Dana Colley, and Jerome Dupree. And we mentioned the band Treat or Right, which had featured Mark Salmon and Billy Conway, but we neglected to mention Vapors of Morphine, the band that came after. This is mostly spearheaded by Dana Colley and Jerome Dupree, who is 
currently no longer in Vapors of Morphine. He has tinnitus and had to step out, but he did co-record the new album. There's some other guys in the band as well. Uh, And if you're lucky to catch them, you know, you should definitely keep an eye out for them. And their stuff is available to purchase and to listen to on all the streamers. Definitely worth checking them out. And, you know, (laughs) I'm really glad Jess came on. I hope he comes back on. (laughs) I find myself walking this line between trying to get people I know to get on the show because they're interested in doing it and want to do it. And, you know, it's fun. So (laughs) they come on. And also, I don't want to be like this guy who lassos my friends and family into some sort of obligation. But if I've not reached out to you personally and we know each other and you would like to come on, please don't take it personally. I'm really trying not to irritate everybody by <laughs> by making pleas to come on to my show. Uh, and if you're a listener that doesn't know me, but if you like the show and you want to come on and talk about an album... That would be cool, too. I'd love to talk to some new people. That sounds fun. So by all means, reach out. We could talk about any album you want virtually from 93 to 94. I've been trying to get someone to come on to talk about the 1993 album Laid from the band James. song uh the big single you know laid from that album but every song on that album is fantastic it's one of my favorite albums just like morphine's cure for pain it's in that special echelon of all-time favorite albums so i'd love to talk about it with someone who also appreciates it so if that's you or if you want to talk about some other album let me know just email me at 9394 podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on you know the usual social media sites And I thank you so much for listening. I love doing this. I have fun doing this, but it's also kind of like sort of pointless to do it if no one listens. So I really appreciate you all listening. Some people have reviewed and rated on whatever podcast catcher they listen through. And I really appreciate that. If you want to help the show out by giving it a rating, that would be appreciated. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the long and short of it. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.